it reminded me of my mom when my younger sister and I would get into it. She's one year younger and she would say, you kids love each other. Now give each other a hug. And we're like, ah. but I knew she was right. I knew she was right, even though she was driving me crazy at the time. And and it's an incredible time to be countercultural right now in terms of uh, the message of Christ, who said, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. If somebody slaps you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. Love your neighbor as yourself. You can build the heart of a lion with a strong mind and spirit, because a lion's natural state is one of safety through courage, strength, and power. Hi, I'm the shepherd and pastor, Dr. Matt Hook. And I'm the shrink, Dr. Marty Fletcher. This is the show where theology meets psychology, or mental health meets spirituality. Welcome to the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. Before we start the show, I have something to share with you. If you or someone close to you is suffering from a sense of anxiety or loneliness, the truth is anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness affecting 40 million adults in the United States every year alone. And according to a recent study, more than 60% of Americans report feeling lonely, left out, poorly understood, and lacking companionship. This matters a lot because loneliness is stressful enough to raise all-cause mortality by up to 30%. So, I've written a free guide with 10 ways you can start to overcome anxiety and defeat your loneliness. Don't wait on positive emotions. Learn how to create them for yourself starting right now. You can grab the guide by heading over to drmartinfletcher.com. That's doctor spelled drmartinfletcher.com. Marty, little did we realize last week when we recorded that a few hours later, the Capitol would be have people showing up who were rioting. And that has freaked out a lot of us. Good afternoon, Matt. Hey, Marty, how are you today? I'm doing swell. Swell is a great I'm swelly. That's a, you're swole. Swell again. Yeah, that's good. Swellagant. You're not even. <laughs> well, you know, it was freaky. About two hours after we made a recording last week, we had this horrific news about what went on at the Capitol and the violence that took place in our Capitol building. And it's hard enough. It was hard enough this summer to watch U.S. cities erupt with violence and see protests turn into riots and riots turn into vandalism and theft. But to see the building that's like the center of the best of who we are and the worst of who we are, but still where so much gets done and there's so much history, be subject to people storming it. It was uh, my prayer is that it's a wake up call to all of us. What I was struck by, first of all, were the commentators and the politicians who said, this isn't America, this isn't us, this isn't the way that we do things. But you know what? Apparently it is. Mm -hmm. uh, what if What if this is us? I can't say that I was completely surprised that it could happen. I'm not surprised by much of anything in recently at the last year and a half. Disappointed terribly. Right, right. I, I just, I couldn't believe it. And and I want to say this isn't us, but the fact is, if you look at the rhetoric and you look at the online stuff, which I'm distancing myself from, mm -hmm. uh, it is us. Mm -hmm. I mean, this, the, the Capitol building in Portland was under siege for a long, long time, and that was painful to watch. 
and it's only one step from there to the U.S. Capitol. And I was proud of our Congress that we're meeting that night. And it's a reminder that what we see and what we hear via the media and somebody else's lenses is not always what's going on. I know one one congressman who says, you don't hear about 90% of what goes on. The fact is some of my closest friends sit across the aisle from me politically. And we have we do have a Bible study that meets every week. But we're not going to be the ones interviewed and posted and reposted and reposted because we're not that interesting compared to a handful of people on one side and a handful of people on the other who get all the time. So when you say it's us, you say us, which boy, that's everybody. You don't mean that, but that's, we have to, you know, be careful with our language because uh, we think in terms of language. And then later you got more refri- refined with that to say a handful. And people say, no, it's not a handful, but we're looking at how many people were there. I didn't, you know, it's hundreds of thousands, right? I mean, it was a big, big, big crowd that were nearby. Yeah, that chose not to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it just, it makes me sick to my stomach. But, you know, it was interesting. I was encouraged late on Wednesday night of the incident. I was driving home and I heard about four of the senators give their five minute speeches about what happened and what we gotta do. And and some of them from Nebraska to New Hampshire, they're saying we have got to be neighborly. They were, they were saying we have to fix what's causing this. They said we got to do better. We can't split ourselves. It reminded me of my mom when my younger sister and I would get into it. She's one year younger and she would say, you kids love each other. Now give each other a hug. And we're like, "Ah." but I knew she was right. I knew she was right, even though she was driving me crazy at the time. And and it's an incredible time to be countercultural right now in terms of uh, the message of Christ, who said, love your enemies, Pray for those who persecute you. If somebody slaps you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. Love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, let's read that because there's even more good stuff into that. So Matthew 5, right? Do you want to read it you have in front of you? Go for it. Okay. Matthew 5, and this is uh, 43 through 48. That's what I have here. Okay. This is Christ talking. Uh, You have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. Okay. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your father who is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love them that love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans, tax collectors, publicans do the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father who is in heaven is perfect." There's a lot in there, isn't there, right? He's telling us exactly what to do. There are actions in there because, because well, here's what I like. Do you, do you love X? We won't call out any names. And they'll say, I love everybody. But do you love X? I love everybody. They won't say it sometimes, you know, when, when I ask them. 
but this is giving us actual things to do. Pray for them, right? Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Do good. That's a command. Do good to them that hate you. Are you seeing um, a lot? I'm not seeing a lot of that, man. Um, I'm seeing other things. Well, it's this, I want to say endless cycle. That sounds so dramatic, but it's, it's dramatic. this cycle of one-upping each other. You know, revenge is is what, it seems like so many people are about when when God has so much more for us than that. He's created us to do good work, not to curse people. Yeah, but not just not just any old revenge, but let's cancel them. Let's destroy them. Let's take them out of society. Let's get them fired. You know, and look, there's some things like if you actually incite violence, which is, you know, that's been around forever that we're not allowed to do that. So if you tell someone directly to go do something to hurt somebody else, yeah, that's a problem that that's not covered on the free speech. But right now that we have concept creep, you know, what concept creep is no, you take an idea and you define it and then you keep expanding the definition. Okay, so so new things start to fit into it. So now we can call certain things violence that weren't thought, like speech is violence. That's really new to us in this culture because free speech is protected, hate speech is protected. Now, no one's gonna endorse it, right? Well, some people do, but you know, it's not part of our culture to endorse hate speech, but you're free to hate whomever you want. I feel badly for you if, if, if you're full of hate, but you know, I don't, to be arrested or punished or, uh, and that's not to say if you're behaving poorly in the in the workplace in any way and causing trouble that there shouldn't be anything to happen. But you see what I mean by the concept creep? A lot of these things had definitions at one time. The problem began to had progress made, right towards towards, and and then I just see the the definitions keep going out and out and out to the point where now we're into mind reading. Like you know, you didn't say it, but I know what you meant. So I'll punish you. And I'm saying this on both sides. I see it on both sides of, of the left and right, the hard, radical, hard left and right. But they're out there in the media. Mm-hmm. You know, it's this crazy concept. Love your enemies doesn't mean everything was OK, but it means in the midst of where you guys are. And enemies mean somebody who goes out of their way to hurt me, who goes out of their way to deface or defame me or what I'm doing. Yeah. It can and, be uh, more can be more, I think. I mean, I'm talking about concept creep. I don't think this is. You know, look, a, a, a professor that you can't stand, he feels like your enemy. This guy hates me. You know, give me our time. Bad boss. Okay. That's, that's, not, that's not your friend. That's your enemy. He's against you. Here's a question. Yeah. With the patients that you see, how many of them who come to see you name someone who's like an enemy to them? Th- that they name someone? Mm-hmm. Uh, you my mean mom, that, ha- that has? Spouse. Oh my goodness! Okay, let's let's define what we're talking about with enemy here, and this isn't too far because you know Christ wasn't talking to soldiers. He's not talking about combat specifically. He's talking about relationships because he, he sort of defines who, who they are. You know, pe- so enemy here would be people who curse you, right? People who hate you, right? Or despitefully use you and persecute you. So. Look, they have bad relationships. People have bad relationships, but people who that I see in practice oftentimes had uh, extremely bad relationships growing up and um in you know marriages and uh, romantic relationships, parents, siblings, there's a lot of division in our society and in families. So I'm going to say most have some most people that you see as a psychologist have someone that they can name that is against them. Or that caused Many. them. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Most of our problems come from other people, really. 
problems that I try. I, I've said this before. It's, I'm helping to heal people to heal from all the horrible things that were done to them and by other people and also the horrible things that they did in response to those people. You know, so many people are prisoners of one or two or three experiences of their past, one or two or three people that they knew in their past. And this, without loving your enemy, without getting past those things, and I don't know how you get past it. Jesus says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And Jesus, he said right before this verse in Matthew 5, 38, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. That's heavy, difficult sayings because we have this revenge, this hurt cycle back and forth and back and forth. And we think we've got to get even. And he's saying, no, get off that treadmill. And it doesn't mean that you subject yourself to abuse over and over and over again, but for you not to carry it and, and for you to be able to get off of the cycle of wanting to one up the other person as though you're going to get something out of it. You know, I think we go through life thinking if I hang on to this anger or this hate, if I keep them in the slot of my enemy, this seed of bitterness turns into a giant forest. This, this pain that they caused me compounds in my heart that somehow I think this unforgiveness of this enemy will somehow cage that person who hurt us but it only cages us. Yeah, if, you, if you're responding to hate, like a hateful statement or something like that, with a hateful statement, then we've just added to the sum. Now you have one more angry person in the world, you, right? So, so what I was hoping we could do is we, we, we could look at why are people so resistant to doing this, to, to loving their enemies? Okay, so look at some of the obstacles to that, why people doesn't feel right for them to hear that. And then also offer some ways, techniques to begin to do it. But first, you won't do it if you don't see the value in it. So we'll have to clarify the value. And, and, and because I think that people misunderstand the like turn the other cheek, like let them hit you. That, that means that you get sucker punched, you stand up and you don't defend yourself. That's not what that means. I was taught that it, it was a taunt. And, and also Christ to get your attention. He was really good at getting people's attention at a time when he didn't have, you know, PA systems and things like that, right? And make things memorable. So he, you know, used strong hyperbolic language sometimes, right? And symbolism as well. So, so, so he wasn't saying, let somebody beat you up. He was making a, a bigger point. Am I wrong about that? No, I think that's right. Okay. Why will people not let go of that? Or why is it a good idea? Oh uh, yeah, or why is it a good idea? And what and what do they respond with? You mentioned some of those. You know, uh, to to me, what I'm seeing is this: they become the thing that they disliked. They just don't know it, right? So somebody's being obnoxious on Facebook. Here they come with an obnoxious post in response. You know, as if it's a zero sum game. Like, okay, somebody's gonna have to win this game. This is the game I'm gonna play with you. I'll I'll take the bait, but I'm gonna win it. You know. And nobody wins. Uh, no hate. <laughs> You know, it certainly hasn't solved anything that I've seen. I mean, most people aren't going to let you dominate them. You know, you have to give the person some dignity. I told I told Griffin that when he was younger, I was like, look, if somebody confronts you like that and, you know, give them a way out. Right. Let them have their dignity and then they'll walk away. If you don't let them have their dignity, 
they're less likely to walk away. Even that's a way of respecting your enemy, I suppose. Showing respect to your enemy. Mm-hmm. Not just love your enemy as if, I think that sometimes because love is such a tricky word in, in our culture because we use it for so many things. I don't think it means sit around and contemplate them. She loves me, she loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not kind of thing. Do good is what he's saying. Show love to your enemy. Meet them with the opposite force. You know, one of the things I think that helps me when I think about loving my enemy, I don't even like my enemy. I think part of it is I think of the word love as a strong version of the word like. I like something, I like something, I like something a lot. That must, I really love it. Love is not a strong form of like. Mm, I agree with that. Love means I am sharing a one-way gift with that person, even if I don't care for them. You know, if I don't like them, I can love them. And uh, sometimes I can't do it in my own strength, but that's where I believe my faith in Christ has enabled me to love people that I haven't really cared for. I mean, I haven't liked. Yeah, that, 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 that's, that's half of it for me. And then the other half is this. I'm going to protect myself spiritually. I'm not going to let that hate get inside of me. I'm not going to let that fear get inside of me. Yeah. Right? We see that all over the scripture. We see that all over the Bible, which is 66 ancient documents. How many of those guys had enemies? And uh, I think of David. David was this young man. He had been anointed to be king by God's prophet. But Saul was the king who had it out for David, tried to kill him for about 20 years. David was on the run. And in the midst of that, he talks about being David in the Psalms, which simply means songs. David wrote these things down, recording how he was betrayed by his family, betrayed by his friends, betrayed by his enemies, calling on God to punish him. He didn't cry to other people to go kill him. He prayed for those people who were mistreating him. And, and what he does is he turns his attention. He, he uses the hate that somebody had for him who went out of their way to be mean to him or to make his life miserable. He used that to launch himself to God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he had a chance to get revenge too, right? He did. And he didn't take it. Yeah. Yeah. He, he could have killed his, the guy who wanted to kill him. Right. Right. And he didn't because that's a terrible way to become a king is to kill the king in front of him. It's happened before historically, but is it probably not good? Right. (laughs) Right. That's how I became king. We have a big clue, though. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other one a tax collector. The Pharisee prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, thieves, adulterers or this tax collector. I fast twice a week. And, and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this is Christ talking. I tell you that this man went home justified before God rather than the other. Here's the important point. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Key term, humility. That is really what I'm seeing lacking. And here's why I think it's happening. If this media, right, that you're watching isn't just giving you information, they're giving you the bonus of I'm going to get you angry, agitated, afraid of an entire group of people, that emotion will will prevent you from being humble. 
right? You will feel like there is a personal existential crisis and you don't have time to be humble. You've got to go out and just attack back. Now, oftentimes you can't name the individual who's hurting you, who's hurting somebody else. There's no name because it's been abstracted into a group. So we'll be prejudiced, right? You know what I mean? Bigoted against an entire group of people. And a group has so individual differences account so much for so much more than groups, you know, but we're not thinking like that when we hear those messages come in. I had a patient is probably knows a bunch of, I have, I have one on each side. So two elderly ladies, one's a friend and one's a patient. So one's on the right and fearful as anything because of her media. The other one's on the left, fearful as anything because of her, her media. But I, I said, do you know any Trump supporters to the one on the left? Um, no, I don't. And she does. She just doesn't know that she knows them because they're, they're not talking about it because there's just too many left and right out there. Right. So I was said, well, would you sit down with them? She said, I don't think so. Went, Why? Because I would, I'd be afraid they would attack me. So here's, I'm following the logic. You don't know any, you're afraid of them though, because somehow you got the idea that they are ready to attack you know, people who believe like you, where would that idea come from? If you don't know any, where would that idea that there's a, a group of people don't know any names, don't know any individuals, but just hearing that they were on that side or whatever, right? Identified with that. Right. Right. Where did that information come from? Did you ask her that? I don't remember. It would come from her fear. It would come from that somehow she has set herself up to be an enemy of all no, but where did the information people. come from? Why wouldn't she assume that they're nice like her? Right. Where did the information come from? Are you from? saying from the media, from the news? I don't know where else it could come from. And then the people talking about the media and the news and talking about it in that way, in a specific way. One of the most powerful things that I ever heard somebody say, and they were talking about Adam and Eve in the garden, and they were hiding from God because they had broken this covenant and walked away from God and ate the apple. And... God calls out to them, Adam, where are you? And Adam says, I'm here. I was hiding because I was naked. And God said, who told you? Who told you you were naked? Who told you? And it made me realize there's nothing that we know except what we've been told. Well, outside of our own experience. Yeah. There's nothing that we know except what we've been told. Or other people have interpreted our own experience for us or, or they've latched onto something and there's nothing that this woman knows about Trump supporters except what she's been told. There's nothing somebody else knows about another people group except what they've been told. Yeah. So, so when we look at the difference in those two women, each is being told about the other side by the other side's enemies, right? So one has, you know, the Biden and Pelosi's being defined hour after hour, day after day, whatever it is in, in, in her in, intake consumption of media, all you're going to hear is <laughs> them, them, them gossiping and tearing the other person down. And it happens both ways. That, that's not the kingdom of God, though. You're, you're without knowing it, people are looking to have their hopes, dreams, fears, peace come from politicians, right? And that's why it looks so much like a religion right now. It has the gestures, it has the icons, it has the rituals, it has the the, the politics placed at a hierarchy, right? Like like above God, because if you're if you're not loving your enemies or at least trying really hard, and if you're attacking them, then you're not following the way. That's you're not living in that kingdom. Okay. Cause because it's clear. It's not a big, you know, it's not, I don't have to impose anything on it. I see it written here. 
So why would we do it though? Why don't people do it? Well, it's, it's foreign. The grace that it takes to do that is foreign to us as people because we get our feelings hurt and we want to lash out and we want to get back at them. And we build up in our minds what has happened to us by people who you could say are enemies and we hang on to it and it fuels us. When Jesus is saying, that's not the way, like you just said. And so it's not popular. It's, it's popular to stand against stuff. It's popular in the world, but that's nowhere in the gospel. Nowhere. It's going to be foreign, of course, because it's all foreign in the gospel, because that's not our nature. We have to look to it so we can be different than ourselves, so we can be transformed. I think it's a lack of humility, right? Because there's this narcissistic epistemology that people operate from when they do this. Okay, here's what a narcissistic epistemology is, is this. Because I believe it's true. It's true. Because I, especially the emotional reasoning, because I feel it's true. It's true. We'll do a show on this, but what I see in the media, they're teaching and promulgating the type of cognitive distortions that cause anxiety and depression and, and lots of fear and sleep disturbances. They're teaching them to think in a distorted way. So there's a little bit of truth in there, but then it's being interpreted in a way to that it gets catastrophized like it's not a sad event anymore it's like a, oh my gosh the country is over okay that catastrophic thinking we try to help patients be more accurate so they'll feel better right so when someone starts to catastrophize like my life's over i lost my job okay you feel like that emotional reasoning we try to help people to stop the emotional reasoning if we get excited angry or scared our frontal lobe is hijacked we don't reason well Okay. If, 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 if there were actually a, an attack, right, a physical attack, an organized physical attack, and we need to get a leader, like who can lead us through this and direct us, what would we want their temperament to be? Cool, calm, and collected. Okay. So if the argument is, why aren't you watching this, Matt? Why aren't you watching this, Marty? Why aren't you as excited as I am? You know, my thought is like this. You're going to be left back at camp if you come out like that. You're going to be of no use to, to getting anything positive done. But there's a feeling that if I care enough to yell about it, I'm doing something very important. And if you're not, you're irresponsible. Wow. Yes. Yeah, you'll see it in social media. Oh, oh yeah. And then you get something. shamed if you don't jump on something right away. Right. Now, my belief and my experience is this. If you love your enemies, that is the best shot you have at getting them to stop thinking the way you, to think more like you. You'll never convince anyone that what you have is good if you're coming at them with judgment, arrogance, anger. It just won't work. Now, kindness and gentleness and patience, because it can take some time. I'll have some examples in this podcast where that absolutely works. I'm not hearing that, though. That, that, that's the unifying message. Okay, that's, but I'm not hearing that at all. I'm hearing, I don't even know how this is going to end because nobody's saying this is the win condition here, right? Nobody's defining success. Unless success is complete annihilation of the other side. And that's basically what I think is inferred. I mean, do you know what success is going to look like? So if you say unity, okay, well, that's not a goal. That's an outcome of some things that we would do, some strategies, tactics, behaviors, right? But you can't say, okay, snap your finger and unity happens. So, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, man. I think that the idea of a goal in this is one of the best things that could be helpful for people. 
Because when we play out, what is my goal for me to keep hating this person? You might get me to see logically, if I can talk about it, how futile any kind of a, an outcome is that I want. I want them dead. I want them hurt. I want them to know what I went through. That will not release me of my fear or anger or hurt. Seeing somebody else suffer the way I suffered will not assuage what's gone on in me or to me. So I think the goal is for it to stop. The goal would be for me to get my eyes back on God and to experience the goodness of God, the peace, the love, the joy that he has for me. And that's why I think when Jesus says, pray for your enemies, the first thing that it does is it turns the focus to God. Even if it's my enemies that are getting me to move to a time of prayer. In other words, I'm not consumed by the hurt so much. When I focus on God, he's the only person I believe that can heal the hurt and that can give me the power to respond to my old wounds, my old enemies in a radically new way, where I can get out of the insanity of doing the same thing over and over and over again. It's one of the most powerful protections I think that that somebody could have that could keep us from being bitter would be to get my focus on God. So your, your, your critic would say, okay, you go over there and gaze at your navel and we'll be out doing the real work. I'll be carrying signs and organizing and things like that. That, that, that they would be wrong, but that's what it would sound like to someone who didn't understand. Yeah. And the goal isn't just for me to achieve some kind of nirvana and do nothing. Goal would be for me to activate. And that's the whole idea of bless those who persecute you. So, so, so um, has it ever worked before? Yeah. I'm kind of in, interested in that. I, every once in a while, we'll see Dr. King's icon on somebody's, you know, social media, but I don't hear the message. There was a, um, in preparing for this, there is a, on YouTube, probably find other places too, MLK in 1957, November 17th at Dexter Ave Bible Church in Montgomery, uh, Alabama, had a speech on loving your enemies. That was the tactic. Show love to your enemies. And it worked. It worked for Gandhi. It worked for MLK. All right. I'm not hearing that, though. I'm hearing like just just vanquish your enemy, destroy your enemy, get them to say, repeat after you the words, the oath or whatever it is that, that they're supposed to do. Adopt your language immediately. Right. Right now. I've seen that. I won't call out any names on that, but I've, I've certainly seen that. Look, the only way to have unity and in, in diversity that I can think of is this, because I've never, I haven't seen anybody yet show the way to that. Everybody, a lot of people say they want that. The way that we have, uni, that we have unity in diversity is love. Okay. That's the only way, because here's what that means. You're different. Okay. We're, we are different. Okay. You're still accepted. Because love as a definition, an operational definition for me, it's going to have to involve, this is Pluchek's work we talk about sometimes in this podcast, is going to be a type of, uh, if not trust, at least acceptance, right? So somebody at this point in their life are really misled, saying irresponsible things, I think, okay? But I can still accept them and talk to them. And through the dialogue, there can be some transformation. Or I can call them a name, you know, tell them that they're, uh, they, of course, you're white privileged or whatever it is like that. And that's, that's the end of it, right? No compassion. Compassion right now seems to be controversial. Like it's it, like it's, it, it's subversive or something. 
you know, to be compassionate. It means it, it's, it's conflated with irresponsibility or apathy or something like that, when actually it can be an effective tactic. It's what Jesus used. He literally was dying on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Okay, I like that. And I've thought about that a lot because here's what I'm thinking. I mean, what was his, he had compassion for them. His feeling seemed to be, if they knew what I knew, they would do it. They just don't know. They don't know the way. Forgive them. They're, they're ignorant, not, not stupid, but they're ignorant of this. They just don't know. And then he still loved them all the way there being tortured. These days, it's sort of like you said something I didn't like about a group, not even a person. And maybe you did or maybe you didn't, but it sounded like you did. And then boom, the attack comes up. We're going to attack on things like that right now. Not everybody. I'm just talking about the stuff that we're, let's not talk about the 85% of people who just want this to go away. Cause that's what it is. 85% of us are just sick of it. We're not partisans. We voted different ways. We would like to see people on TV talking, being dignified. We don't want to see people being called uh, names. We'd like real information, like X did this, and you know, like you would present it in court. I would like to see that, you know, that type of presentation, rather than um, getting uh, this. Really, really affects the elderly, right? And I think that maybe because they watch more cable news and, and you know, and the anxious people because they're already feeling that the world's awful and depressed because they're already negative thinking. They feel like life's gonna never be good for them. Then they get these messages like, "Yeah, and life isn't gonna be good," and those topics will switch right? There'll be these existential crises that'll run and then the next one will come up and then the next one come up. Now, by that time, you have been under worry and stress for years watching that stuff. And this isn't just my opinion. Do a Google search if you want to find out for yourself and take a look at the mental health effects of how they've been worsening as media has changed because media has changed. Now, is it the media's fault? Is it the politician's fault? They have some, but we have something to bear too, because we, we would know that that was wrong, right? We should know that that's wrong. And we should also hold our side more accountable than the other side when they do it. You know, clean up your own backyard, right? So if you want the behavior to go away, you have to stop it wherever you see that, even if it's your favorite political party doing it. Otherwise, it'll continue because they're just giving us what we want or what we're asking for. Does that make sense? It does. It does. It makes me sad. It is Okay, that's the appropriate response, I think, because what else can you feel? You, if you're not going to feel rage towards another human being, if you're not going to demonize another person, what's left but sadness, right? Because sad's an attachment emotion. That means at least you care about the person. If you can feel sad for that, or you can feel sad for the event too. Now, there was another guy that we talked about in the podcast that's no longer up anymore. Remember Daryl Davis? He's that black musician you know, uh, he got really interested in why these KKK people around him would hate him. What was his approach? Or, or organize a militia? No. Get to know uh, him. Spray paint their house? No. He won them over by listening to them, talking to them, and getting past their ignorance. And he has the largest collection of those uh, goofy KKK robes and hats. I don't know what you call those things. I don't either. I'm going to say they're goofy because they look goofy to me. Mm -hmm. Okay. But the, the important point is love and tolerance and a tr sincere curiosity for what the other person, treating like a human being, these guys, they came over to his side. They just didn't know. Just like Christ, you know, they don't know. So Daryl Davis, rather than becoming a hateful person himself and becoming the, 
the thing, letting that get inside of him, the thing that was hurting him, invite, inviting it in or just not being vigilant enough to get it out. He wasn't going to do that. He was going to treat them with dignity and then he that wins. Okay. So there's some examples right there that it works. And then do, do you have any examples of when you've had to do that? When somebody was really coming at you and, and you used those tactics of? Yeah. For me, one of the techniques that sort of worked for me was and this was kind of being teased in a mean way today, they would call it bullying. Like even in junior high, because I did have a faith background as a seventh grader, I look back now and I think I was so well-armed compared to what it could have been. And, and there were guys that, that just rode me, you know, just every chance they got, they tried to embarrass me or say things, whatever. I mean, it's kind of like everybody's junior high experience in the seventies or the eighties. Yeah. Junior high is brutal. And one thing that worked was I, my heart was guarded that I knew who I was. I knew I was okay. I knew I was well-loved. And so when they would attack me, you know, with attack, sort of a strong word, but, but truly I couldn't stand them. And yet I knew that Jesus loved the unlovable people. I knew that, that I was called to give them a chance. And it doesn't mean I went looking for them to tease me. But every new opportunity, I kind of treated as a potential to turn the corner. Um, how did you actually respond, though? Let's say somebody says, oh, there's Hook. Right. Call a name or something. What, what, sure. what would you do? I disagree with what they said without jumping back down their throat. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to fight back which was probably a good thing looking back now. And over time, I think that there was a level of acceptance or forgiveness, 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 forgiveness. And, and I put it in the category of kids being kids, even if they were jerks or mean or trying to be hurtful or trying to embarrass me, but they never got me. They never got me down. I can remember it, but they never defeated me. Did you ever turn one around? Yeah. Make him a friend? Yeah. We got along eventually. Okay. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. It, it may not happen the first time. Because I didn't but, dish it back. But if you stick it out and show them that, uh, and oftentimes they'll be embarrassed if they, you know what I mean? I've seen that before where somebody's attacking someone else and then everyone, no one else responds. And then they, it's almost like they see themselves in the mirror and they don't like it. And they'll back off of that. Right. I remember at my 25th high school reunion, a kid named Rick said, if I had to go back and do it again, I would not have been mean to some of the people I was mean to. All right, man. 25 years later. I saw the same thing because we had a reunion coming up and, you know, you call your friends, are you going to go? Are you going to go? And then, you know, I'm going to ask some questions about that. So why not? Why not? And you know what I heard more? I heard that more than anything else. They were ashamed. They didn't want to see the people that they were mean to. And I felt a little bit of that too. I wasn't always the nicest person back then. And I felt, you know, and there, I remember apologizing to someone. Now she said that she didn't remember it, but how could you not? That's one thing. If we hurt somebody like that and we hurt their pride, you know what I mean? And humiliate them and make them feel small and shame them. They don't, it's hard to forget that when people hold on to that for their entire lives, sometimes I know, cause I hear it in the, um, in the office mm -hmm. clinic. You know, one of the things that really was a lifeline to me during those years was my older sister, Marcy, led a Sunday school class or a youth group Bible study in the summer one summer with her husband, Jeff. And they were young, you know, early 20s. And she said this, if someone cuts you down and you're being who God made you to be, 
they're not cutting you down. They're mm -hmm. cutting God down. Yeah, I like that. All of a sudden, I could look at these guys who had been taunting me and just riding me for several years, and I felt sorry for them. It's only if I'm trying to be something I'm not, if I'm trying to be something different from the way God made me, that I could take the credit for what they were saying against me. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Matter of fact, we could go conversely too and say, by loving my enemy, and, and at first you won't want to, that first instinct is going to be the protective instinct and you're going to get a little adrenaline. Like, what did they just say to me? Maybe some anger or that anxiety fear of, I can't believe it. Okay, don't feel bad about that. that that's a temptation to go and do what they did. That's what that is. But you start to correct yourself. And even if it doesn't work, you have pleased God. You have obeyed God. That's a win. And also humble yourself a little bit because you really don't have political power. You got to vote. Complaining, I don't think is a effective technique. I think it does more harm because if you if you disagree with someone and you start attacking and, and picking out every weakness and not listening to them, what do you, what's going to happen to them is they're going to get even more recalcitrant. Even They're going to dig in even further because now you've just shown them what they already thought about you. You're rude. You don't understand. Blah, 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 blah. There's, there, there's nothing you can do about that. Love your enemies to me is that, first of all, the quickest way to get rid of an enemy, not whether they change or not. Love your enemies is the quickest way to, we've talked about, use bolt cutters. Because if I'm, if they're an enemy, there's something I am avoiding. There's something that I'm going out of my way to avoid them. I'm going out of my way to hate them. And for Jesus to say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. That is your ticket to freedom from that person. That's your ticket to freedom from whatever it is that they did that made them your enemy. And then it takes whatever happened to you or against you, and it completely diminishes it. It doesn't make it go away. And a lot of us need help. And a lot of us need our, our emotions are so damaged. We need to see a counselor. We need to, somebody to walk through this with us. But I think love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you is the first road, the quickest way to get on the road to freedom, the quickest way to get onto a road to getting beyond what it is that's got you stuck into holding this person in the place of enemy. Loving your enemy does not mean you subject yourself to them anymore. It doesn't mean that, that you're victim anymore. If you're empowered with the ability to love your enemy, you are so completely free. Instead of being chained to that person, you have the ability to offer forgiveness and get on with your life, crying out loud. Agreed, agreed. So I have a list here and I want to- Give me um, your list. Well, I'm going to run it. I want to know what you think about this because I want people to under, because when, when we tell love your enemy, it's so foreign to some people because- it's not been described how it might happen and we don't see it enough modeled to um, be able to pick it up. So I want to, you know, some of the obstacles and et cetera. Okay. Here's what I would say to people. If you want to love, and you may not want to love your enemies. If you don't want to love your enemies, let's say you're like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to be a Christ follower. I'm going to be Christian. I'm going to go to church, but I'm not going to do that. What would you say? I would say that's, that's impossible. Just remember love is not a strong version of like, Yes. It doesn't mean I'm going to take this enemy and I'm going to like them strongly. Or endorse their or endorse yeah. their views or come over the side. We're not talking about that at all. We're talking about the human, not the ideas. 
not the ideology, because those things do change and everybody is redeemable, right? In theory. To love your enemy sometimes means to remove yourself from them. And keep your peace. And keep your peace. And keep your peace. So it won't be adoration. It'll be more like a, I can accept. And look, if you'll talk to people, they'll tell you and you'll start to understand and you'll feel better as you understand someone. That's what Daryl Davis uh, discovered. And that's what I've discovered. If, if I don't meet their judgment and arrogance with my own judgment and arrogance, then something can happen. Okay. And that's usually what it is. But you have to know your dark side. Everybody has a, a dark side, right? And, and what that means is this. That thing that, that they're doing is in you as potential. And it can come out. And you need to know that. This is how we can get past hypocrisy. This is how we won't see, you know, anger, judgment, arrogance, self-righteousness, right? If you're, if you don't like that from the other side and then you join them in it, it just has different names attached to yours, right? Then um, you're doing the thing that you decry. And Christ talked about this all the time with the hypocrisy. That's why it's well advised to get clean your own house, right? Take that log out of your eye before you start doing this work. Two things you could say when I look at somebody that I can't stand that I would put in an enemy category. Mm -hmm. It's not a, a, a reach for me to say there, but for the grace of God, go I. And, and, and what do you, what does that mean to you? And how, how does that help you? How does it help you? What's the meaning? It means kind of what you said, what is in them that has caused them to be so obnoxious or so mean is in me as well. Only, you know, I'm not that many steps away from that. And then it allows me to see that um, it allows me to see them with new eyes. It Because a lot of times somebody looks at me in a funny way and I think they don't like me. But then I find out, no, it's just that they had something stuck in their throat or they had something mm -hmm. in their or they were super distracted because some other thing was going on. And so a lot, of, a lot of people get put in the category of enemies for a reason we don't even know because we misjudged the situation. I agree with that. So, so there you go. So, so what's the remedy to that? Start listening to them, but listen with curiosity, listen to understand, right? It does make a, a real big difference. It's happened every time. Those two folks that I was telling you about, I listen to them. I, some things are horrible. Like one of them wishes for the death of some of these people. Now there's a sweet older woman who wants someone to die, which is the worst offense, the awful tweet or the murder that you're wishing. Playing you know? out your heart. Yeah. And then also use your little imagination. Let's say he did die by your request. Forget the conscience thing, because you may or may not have that. But, you know, a lot of other people are hurt, too. So now you got even more destruction coming in. But the fact that we could have the, this much hate towards another human being is, is, is mind blowing to me right now. I think that the idea of this whole conversation, love your enemy, pray for those who persecute you, is a reminder to us. Jesus wants to protect our hearts. Yes. Jesus wants to battle. protect our souls. And we we are destroying our souls. So give me that list. Okay, so next one, um, test the spirit. Okay, so here's a fact. How is it coming to you? Is it coming with the poisons of, of, of rage and division? Is it gossip? Is it a fact that's use, useful? Or is somebody making an ad hominem attack at another human being, right? Taking their worst, one of their worst moments and promoting it, okay? Are you going to really buy into that spirit? Is that a good spirit? Okay, because there are, look, we can do everything better that I can think of without hatred. We, Because I think hatred is a higher offense. 
somebody does something neglectful or a microaggression, if you believe that they did or something like that. Okay. Your hatred in response is worse than the microaggression. Get the hate out of your heart. Absolutely. But test the spirit. I don't respond if you're angry. I say you can, if you want. Okay. But I know that it's always, almost always worse if you respond to somebody in anger or fear. Let, instead of responding in anger, let the anger that you feel motivate you to a way to, in a way to approach it where the anger is only a signal. It's not the venom that you're coming at them with. Does that make sense? Yeah, but, but let go of it as soon as you possibly can, because uh, let it get your attention. That's it. And then act without it. Yes. Okay. And also next, remember to show love. Don't say you love because I love everybody. You know, that's not, don't lie to yourself. You'll feel it if you love, right? There'll be a sense of sadness, maybe disappointment in the person. I don't know what exactly, but I know it won't be fear and anger. You will need fear and anger sometimes. That's when an actual human being or creature is attacking you. You'll see it, you'll see it, you'll smell it, you'll taste it, whatever, it's there. But this nebulous group that all seem to think exactly alike and all have the same goal and tactics, they don't exist. It's just to, to raise the spirit of anger and fear and division. Because the division in this country is by far, we can survive a bad president. We can't survive much more and much more intensity in this division. Because now it's in our community. It gets in churches, it gets in houses, it gets into places of employment, right? And now it's a game of, it can be a game of gotcha, because as these definitions for your enemy get to include more and more behaviors, you have all sorts of opportunities to attack one another, okay? Remember that love is transformative. So you're not wasting your time. You're not being a soft male or woman, right? It's there to transform because the, the hatred and anger will only end up, well, you'll only win with that if you destroy your enemy and they don't like to be destroyed and then they keep coming back, right? So, so love can transform for sure. We mentioned King, we mentioned Davis, and then I've got stories that I, you know, I've told before on this podcast. Too. Well, it might even transform your enemy, but it will definitely transform you and it would transform potentially the situation that got you there. Yeah, but that's true. And that's very, very important. Start there. But do know this. That's your best chance of transforming your enemy. That's your best chance. I don't know of anything better than that. Because you're not going to force, you can force some people to say something, but not to believe it, you know, uh, publicly. So if you do want to show, you know, show, if you want them to be godlike, you better be godlike, right? Show them that so they can do it. Okay. Also know this, a group is an abstraction. A group isn't a real person that the things that I'm seeing patients and friends, because this is driving everybody towards mental illness. And, and, and suffering the, the, the media that, that look at. there are some good media sources. So if somebody wants to type in and say that I'm talking about the ones, the real popular ones, mainstream, where people are not talking to each other, where they're coming out and really, really strong and angry, where they're not going to give a balanced view of the person or the other side, why they might think why they're wrong. They won't even tell you that just that they're wrong. Or when there's, um, exaggeration and, um, you know, now we're going to get invaded by the Chinese and stuff like that. That's really bad for people to hear. Uh, okay, so that's an abstraction. Now, if somebody says general blah, 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 made a statement and blah, blah, blah. Okay, that's real information. But watch that group thing, because th that's how we divide. You know, um, the way that you get the middle to go away, which most of us are, and, and get them on one of those sides, is to agitate and cause anger and division. Get them to misunderstand and stop seeing people as human beings, 
see them as monsters and threats. Okay. So the group thing, watch that. Okay. Look, look for the individuals. Okay. Hate is the highest sin in this game. As far as I, I can't hear a different one, right? Hate. That's what you're way for. If something's making you hate, stay away. You're not going to be effective. What do you think about that? I would say hate is a huge signal that something is incredibly wrong and you need to back away, not just from the situation or the person, but you need to figure out how you can back away from the hate. Mm, mm, that good on you. You got work. It, hate means you've got work to do. Your work. Don't start doing other work I'm until saying. you're prepared. Right on. I'm agreeing with you, man. Just, you know, don't even think about starting it because you'll, you'll, you'll cause more problems. You'll add additional problems if you come at, at it with hate. Judge actions. Judge situations if you're going to judge. But do not condemn another human being. You don't understand them. And, and remember, you, you only know because of gossip. That person didn't meet you. When I ask people about their hate, they, they give me few facts. They give me generalizations. So-and-so is a, hmm. Oh, they are? Okay, maybe they are. I don't know. How do you know that they are? And, 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 and this is the oddest thing, man. This is why it's sort of this ideological possession that's gotten inside of them. They'll hesitate for a moment. They won't be able to answer the question. And then they'll go back to the hate. So in, in these individuals, it's got them now. It's got a hold of them. Mm -hmm. And you see that in your practice, and I've seen it as well in the community. And here's what a great coach has been talking to me about. Because somebody on my team does something, I, I'm very good at observing behaviors. I'm very bad at guessing motives. Okay. Because somebody does something, I'll assume they think something's not important. I'll assume that they think I'll, I'll assign a motive to what I'm observing, mm -hmm. not realizing I'm completely wrong in assigning that particular motive to what's going on. And so what I need to do, like you said, is to observe the behaviors and not assign what I think they mean. Yes. And you could take it, if possible, a next step, which is... um. Go to them gently and listen for understanding because I had two things in a row where people, when they flipped out, you know, and I don't, I don't post anymore because you're target as soon as you post. Like right now, it seems that we're so par that we're so polarized now that you can't be nuanced because all of the ideas on the Trump side, you know, you, you buy into all of them or none of them with this way of thinking. Same with the Biden side. So if you say something that's nuanced, mine was just like, I've been talking about the media a lot, how destructive it is, because that's part of my training and job. And that's what we do as psychology right now. So be careful. This is really bad for your relationships and your health and all that kind of stuff. But to do that, it was interpreted by one person as being an endorsement for or probably Trump, um, I'm guessing, right? And, and, and so what I did was first feeling was adrenaline. Like, are you kidding me? Cause I don't have time for this stuff. And I know this person, whatever. Okay. Start text, you know, offline, of course, I don't do it publicly and just say, I think you misunderstood me. Here's what I was saying. And then she's like, well, but you know, it takes a minute to come down from that stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, you, cause they're where we want to be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, you can, I hope you can see how this could be misinterpreted. That's nothing to do with me. <laughs> you know what I mean? If you misinterpret something I say, ask me and I'll clarify it like I'm doing right now. You just didn't ask me, but I'm trying to clarify. Then I became a human to her, told her some stuff that's going on because it got a little, and she goes, oh, I'm so sorry. But now she saw me not as a group, not as an abstraction. She saw a human being and it's very hard to hurt another human being. We have to turn them into devils, demons, Hitlers. That's why you're hearing that language, you know, Goebbels, Hitler and stuff like that. Cause, cause the way to get another, it's not in our nature. Most of us, almost all of us to hurt another human being. You can hurt a monster though. 
So abstract them into a group and you won't see them. But as soon as the human qualities start coming in, then guess what? We start to soften up. Okay. Do you want to be a tolerant person? Ask yourself that. Do I think tolerance is a good value and a good quality? Would I want my children to be tolerant? If so, practice that. Okay. Make that your goal. So every time somebody says something obnoxious, which it's not on us to respond to that stuff anyway, it's all emotional, like nothing good's going to come out of it. The motivation there is just, I'm going to make you feel bad. You made me feel bad, I think, right? Because you're not trying to really educate someone when you're being rude. It's hard to teach somebody when you're being mean to them, (laughs) right? And we'll go back to this too. Humble yourself, okay? You don't know everything. The emotional reasoning is what causes people to think that they know more than they do because it feels so real. It most certainly has to be real, right? But we make that error all the time. We think that someone's in the house. It really feels like it. They may as well be in the house because that's how scared I am. And then you find out that it's not someone in the house. Then guess what? Your physiology comes right down, right? So you have to know you don't know everything, especially if you're watching the media. You're two different stories going on right now now and both and a lot of people believe in both sides it's a little bit it's very arrogant to think that i know more than the other person who i haven't talked to right and that um they're absolutely wrong i don't have to hear any more um, so 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 do we want these qualities now the all these qualities are kingdom values right with the humility and the peace and the love are you going to follow the way or not or are you going to do a few things? Are you going to follow the most important parts of the way so you have, uh, so you become Christ-like or not? Right. That's so good. You know, the Good Samaritan was the enemy of the guy laying dead on the side of the road in the parable that Jesus tells. And he probably stopped to help the guy. He's on a business trip. But as he's helping this guy who's laying there half dead, who's his enemy, according to everybody else, he probably thought to himself, I know what you think of me, and I'm here to help. I know that's an amazing story. And that's that's what Jesus says, love your neighbor. Who is your neighbor? And it ties in so right now, our neighbors, half of them, we feel like they might be our enemies. Maybe a good way to close this time would be something that you said triggered in me. Romans chapter 12, we've talked about it before, but I just want to read the last 10 verses. Yeah, please. Okay. Love must be sincere. Hate what's evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Those are all things that we can do. Then he says this, though, and here's where he gets into meddling. Bless those who persecute you. Bless them. Do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn interesting when somebody persecutes you you're supposed to bless them if they're rejoicing you rejoice with them if they're mourning you mourn with them live in harmony with one another don't be proud but be willing to associate with people of low position don't be conceited don't repay evil for evil be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody if it's possible as far as it depends on you live at peace with everyone don't take revenge my friends but leave room for god's wrath There's a trust in loving your enemies that God's going to sort it all out in the end. And it's a chance to trust in God rather than take it into our own hands. Let me read verse 19 again. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath for it's written. It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. 
don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do something positive. Good doesn't just mean, oh, I'm good. Good means an act, a good deed, a good act. Find a way to help somebody, even your enemy. That's so good. That, that's basically our podcast, isn't it? <laughs> you know, you, you read this a, a while back too, and this is really important to remember. Maybe this is, is the thing to remember. And, and 1 Corinthians, right, 13, is that where Paul gives the list of all of these wonderful things that are being done in the world, right? But without love, they're meaningless, he says. He didn't say, he didn't say they're diminished. It don't matter because the highest thing is love. If we're going to have uni- if we're going to have unity and diversity, it's going to be the tolerance that comes with, even though I don't like what you're doing right now, I still have the hope that you'll find the way because you are suffering. If you're hating, you are, you really are. These people are, but, but these actions aren't sufficient, not without love. If they're absence of love, they're meaningless. And I think that, that, that you've done more harm in the world if, it, if, if you do it without love and doesn't mean swooning love. It means I'm not going to contempt, condemn you. Okay. I'm not going to condemn you as a human being and I'll have hope for you. Okay. That's Paul, not Marty. (laughs) Love is wanting the best for the other person. Wanting the best for them is not for me to hate. Hey, let's pray. Let's do. God, I thank you so much that in the midst of our messed up understanding, in the midst of us even trying to find words of what it means to love your enemy, God, you know all about it because you love us. You love us in our acts of hatred You love us in our intolerance. You love us in our ability to fall for anything. And uh, sometimes it's simply the loudest voice. God, you love us when we are blind to our own hate. You love us when we're blind to our own despising of another person. You love us even though sometimes, God, we use people and we love things. Some of us, Lord, love things more than we love people. So God, I pray that instead of using people and loving things, you'd fix that so that we don't love things, but we love people. So help us, God, to love people and use things. Lord, I also pray for our country. I pray for people's hearts. I pray for these words of yours that are designed simply to protect and guard our hearts because we need you right now. Lord, I pray you help me to love somebody that Maybe I can't stand right now. Love somebody who would put themselves in the enemy camp from where I've been coming from, whatever that means. And God, that it would mean doing something, not just well-wishing from afar, but that I would be proactively making a good difference in the world by serving somebody else. Thank you so much for this opportunity we have to talk. I pray, God, that you would take these words and that, that they would bring honor to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. You can check out the show notes from this episode, get free resources, discover more about our work, and all the ways to subscribe so you never miss an episode of the show. Head over to drmartinfletcher.com.